Brother, how are you doing? I'm great. I've had a lazy day. How are you? That is very good to hear. I don't remember the last time you told me you had a lazy day. Did you get a nap in? It was, I got a nap. One of those naps where you actually wake up feeling a bit groggy. Yeah. It, it was good. Nap on the sofa as well. They're special. Talk to me. How did you justify to yourself that a lazy day was appropriate? I think it was just a period of feeling consistently tired and managing to convince my wife that it is a good idea for her to go to her mother's with the kids. Um, <laughs> it's a good idea for me to stay <laughs> home. Um, but yeah, it was good. And I'm trying to forgive myself for actually doing that when I shouldn't have to. You know, well, we've had this conversation before about creativity coming from rest. Mm. And we've also talked about burnout. So you don't need to tell me. Whenever someone tells me they've had a nap, I get incredibly jealous. Incredibly jealous. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good to hear. Uh, congratulations. Thank you, bro. I spent a couple hours YouTube surfing. It's, it's, it's an interesting place out there. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy on these streets. It's a shame there was no football. No, I watched the highlights, bro. I had that kind of lazy day. I went back a few days to actually catch up <laughs> on the news. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had an interesting one. I went to catch up with two uh, really impressive friends of mine. You know when you have friends who are just doing life right? And you're like, I need to, anytime I go and see you guys, I need to take notes. Yeah. Uh, these, these are people that I used to live with and they've recently moved house. So I just went to go and uh, see what they're up to. And they bought a beautiful place and decided that now is a great time to rip out the entire insides, gut it completely and start again from scratch. So they're literally redesigning every room so that it fits their image of an ideal property. And for someone like me, who's recently moved house, this is just amazing to me. You know, when you go through the process of renovating a building or renovating a part of a building and it's quite painful and you complain about, oh, you know, three weeks I had to survive without having my kitchen, etc. They've been doing this since the beginning of March. Um, so it put things into perspective, but yeah, as I said, I'm taking notes, it's, it's amazing. And doing that with a young child as well, um, you have to have vision yeah. and every so often remind yourself of that vision. Yeah, definitely. I and mean, it helps that um, the husband is an architect because this is his playground. You can tell he is loving it and he's treating this as a project where he is the project manager and project manager slash customer. And he's, draw he's got these... Um, architectural drawings for every room and it's just really inspiring and he's also doing all of it on a budget you know this isn't this uh, a big splash of the cash this is him trying to do it or both of them trying to do it um on uh, as as little kind of financial uh backing as possible so it's really impressive to see and as i said just really inspirational it's gassed me up man the time will come the time will come you know what? I'm ready to wait for a little bit, if I'm honest. I can, I can take some time. It's another episode, bro. It's another episode. And speaking of which, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Expensive Lessons. This is where company directors like to share the pain, the experiences, the lessons that we've learned, and hopefully provide you with some added value to help you on your journey as a businessman or woman, uh, an entrepreneur, 
and all-round uh, successful individual. And today we are blessed. Honestly, we are blessed because one of the things that I am conscious of when we are sharing information with you uh, is we are sharing information from the perspective of business owners who run an e-commerce platform. We did have a physical retail space, which we'll address in more detail at a later date, but predominantly we are a e-commerce based business, which means that not all of the insight, not all of the information we provide will be pertinent to somebody who's got a business on the high street. And we've taken that on board and Today, we have somebody who is on the front line, on the battlefield, developing loyal customers with a high street brand. And I'm very blessed to say that this is also somebody who I call a friend, somebody who I've spent a lot of time having back and forth with, uh, who's given me a lot of useful insight, and that I think uh, you are going to gather a lot of useful information from as well. So today we've got Jess Ai, who is the founder and managing director of Jess in the Beanstalk, which is an innovative coffee shop, which matches the sophistication of some of the coffee shops that you're used to with some more of the community feel that you would expect from a uh, play space or a community center or a community uh, initiative. And today we've, we've got her joining us to just share, share her story, her journey, and some useful insight that we can all benefit from. So welcome, Jess. Hi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. And I did my best at trying to explain what Jess and the Beanstalk was and does, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about Jess and the Beanstalk, what your vision for the business was, and where you feel your place in, in, in the high street is. Yeah, sure. So Just in the Beanstalk is effectively your local family coffee shop. Um, and sort of the original vision was for mums like myself, I have two young boys, um, to be able to have coffee shops that cater to us, um, to be able to have a place to park your pram and change nappies and um, you know, order some suitable things off the menu and just places that I can meet other moms, meet my friends, stay connected, stay myself, <laughs> um, not completely lose myself in parenthood um, and still enjoy the things I used to enjoy before that. And I, I just felt like there wasn't a place for me anymore um, when I had a child. So um, I just became really passionate about creating that space because there was no one doing it. There's no one dominating that market. And I thought I can complain about it or I can... I can do it. I can give it a shot and see if um, other people feel like this is just as important as I do. Um, so I thought I'd start small and um, and test and test the market basically, test my my business plan, see if it works, see if there's a need for it. Um, and the whole point is just to bring value, you know, to connect people um, and just to make sure that people don't feel alone. So uh, as much as that sounds quite deep, it is quite practical in that we have a society that's really disconnected. Um, so places that are your local, if it's not a pub, you know, for some people, it would be your coffee shop. Um, so what would it be like if we had a coffee shop that people came to connect and people came to meet people, make friends in their community, just be connected with what's going on. Um, so I made it for mums like me and it just became 
that actually everybody needs this place. Entrepreneurs locally need this place. OAPs locally need this place. Um, just so many different um, demographics of people. Um, so although I was catering to families, I, I now basically am all about community, so much so that I changed my branding from your family coffee shop to coffee community connection. So it's taken on a journey of its own and it's been amazing. And yeah, I mean, our main thing is just to add value to, to the high street. We don't just want to take your three pounds worth of the coffee. We want to know you, your kids, what you're about, what you do. Um, you know, are you happy? Are you connected? What kind of things do you need? Do you need someone to do a job for you locally? We might have that connection. And, um, you know, just, just develop the community, really. Amazing. Um, and I'm going to ask you a lot about the journey that you've been on and also uh, some of the experiences that you've had. But before that, I just want to ask you a quite simple question, which is, how are you doing? How have you been this week? This week, yeah. I like it when people ask me how I'm doing. People don't ask that a lot. Um, <laughs> I am doing good. This week was good, um, mainly because um, this uh, government scheme at the moment, Eat Out to Help Out, is really helping out. <laughs> so, so although August is notoriously the quietest month in hospitality, full stop. Um, it's absolutely cracking. It's really good. So, so this week has been a good week because I've just been analysing data from the last few months and doing some projections, figuring out how much I need to do by the end of the year and just how Corona has like, impacted business. But it's actually been quite positive. Well, it's it's great to hear that the the eat out to help out scheme has been positive. But me and you, we, we caught up not too long ago and you mentioned that you were quite surprised at the positive response that you were getting from some of your more loyal customers, even during a, a time when there was a lot of uncertainty. I, I was just hoping you could tell us a little bit more about that and that experience. Yeah, sure. So um, we opened our doors again um, post lockdown on the 1st of June um, and the government didn't actually say that that shops should open till July. So we opened um, a month early and that was um, for a reason. I just wanted to, again, test the market and see what people's spending habits were like, see if people were coming out of their house, um, see what adjustments I realistically needed to make to the business in order to um, to ride this wave, basically. Um, because obviously prior to that, we had shut in, in accordance to guidelines. So opening was um, very nerve-wracking. I didn't know if people would just come at all, and I was fully prepared to pay for staff to be there and to not make hardly any money. So it was kind of biting the bullet with that. Um, and we just had people queuing outside. We had people just all over social media with our branding, with our thing, just like so happy Jess is back open. Like and just they, it's like they just needed us to be there to have a sense of normality. Um, and it's been really positive. Um, like I said, um, in terms of sort of sales and things, um, it was slightly down around 10% in, in that month, which is, it blew me away. Um, I was fully prepared for less than 50% of revenue. Um, and I, and I, kind of, I kind of accepted it all. Um, so that was amazing. And then July, when everyone else, when all the other competition was back open, completely normal month, you would not know that there was a pandemic going on at all. And people are just loyal and it's really great. And it, for me, it goes to show if you're there for your community, they're also there for you. But they definitely wouldn't want to see 
sort of our doors close or us not make it so they are there getting their coffees they're there with their families and they were putting pressure on me like when are you going to open the table so we can sit in when can I come with my family when can I do this and actually it was because of them pressurizing me that I ended up opening <laughs> one table then another table then another table I just wanted to phase it in slowly um but um but yeah giving the people what they want in a way that's controlled in a way that's safe and they've really supported us so it's been an amazing um realization I guess because I've always known that they're there and obviously they voted for us to win these awards and things like that but actually when when real stuff goes on and you know the world is in chaos they really have shown up for us so yeah awesome so so to be fair that's something that I didn't mention in in your introduction I should have said the award-winning Jess uh I and yes (laughs) and and well deserved obviously now I really want to ask you about the community the loyal customers that you've developed now your proof that it's never too late. You know, some people would argue that uh, the age of the loyal, dedicated customer base uh, is over in, in, in a word full of, you know, fast, faster uh, engagement, throwaway content, etc. cetera. Um, but I'd ask you the question, how have you managed to engage uh, and develop a community of, of customers that have been clearly loyal to you on the high street? Um, to be honest, it's, it's so many different factors because even from the simple factor that we know that the coffee shop model works, right? We know that that business model works. It, it makes money. Um, but from the beginning, I was like, how about if we slow that model down? And it's not so much about in, out, in, out business. And, you know, you know, someone comes in, take the order next out, you know, how about if we just slow that down, get to know the customer, you can walk in, I can know your order. You don't have to say anything. What about if we make it very personal where you wouldn't dare go anywhere else because then you have to explain what you like and you know that Jess has already got this down. Jess and her girls, they know what I like. It just is what it is. Um, And we have that relationship with you, with your partner, with your kids, um, because we have that relationship with people's kids that so much so that I'm, I have actually put rules in place that no one is allowed to hug anyone's kids right now because of COVID mm-hmm. and the kids are really just running up and hugging people <laughs> anyway. So, you know, we just have this community, um, feel. And I think the personalization of the service is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might think it's madness, you know, the coffee shop model works, why play with it? You know, you can get more customers in and out. My perspective is that if people stay with me, they spend more. So I haven't lost anything. Um, this unlikely they're going to sit down for hours on end and only have one coffee. So, you know, we, we give them coffee, we give them drinks, we give them sweet treats, we have vegan offerings, we have quite a lot going on um, and some hot foods. So we just want to be somewhere that caters to, you know, people for what they need. But ultimately, um, the business model itself, um, personalization of service to staff, um, because staff is just so important. Um, I recruit people based on just how they come across. My my interview process is very strange compared to other people. I'm very much like wanting to know who you are, who do you live with at home, what do you do for fun, you know, what 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 do you enjoy? I need to get a sense of who you are. I need to really know you. You need to know me. Um, it's all personal. Will people be able to feel sort of a, a warmth from you or, you know, because these things can't be taught. 
that's the fact. These things can't be taught. I can teach you to make coffee all day. But if you're not a people person, it's really not going to work for the type of business that I actually have. And my whole business depends on that, that factor. <laughs> so I can't, I can't afford to, I mean, maybe Starbucks can, but I can't afford to have um, people serving you that are not personable. Afalabi, you know when you realise that you're actually not necessary in your own podcast and you could just literally bounce and uh, <laughs> we change the name of this podcast to, to the Justin and the Beanstalk Explains question. Um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Afalabi. I'm currently hating that you brought me into this because I was happy just listening. <laughs> happy being in the background. Jess, um... There, there are times when you just sit and reflect on someone and you try to work out what are all the things which really amaze you about that person? You know they're great, but you're trying to really distill it to simple things. And I think what you do really well is make the complicated simple. Yep. And you have a focus on like intrinsic human motivations of just relationship. That community focus is something which has disappeared somewhat in fast commerce, but is always going to be there. And you've really tapped into that and it's working for you. So I'm, I'm just happy to sit and listen and try to understand where will this take you? How far can you spread it? Is this something that can be replicated? But it's very centered on your understanding of human relationships how do you teach that to others to scale it well this is it because do you know what first of all I feel like I'm a baby in this game so when you guys say these things I'm like why thank you but I have um, learned a fraction of what there is to know out there um but in terms of sort of human interaction yeah, the fact of the matter is, okay, I have a psychology and counselling background. That might, <laughs> that might play into it a little bit. But ultimately, everyone actually wants and needs and survives off of connection. And it doesn't matter what way you look at it. It might be something so simple as getting a coffee or making a phone call or having someone to, that they know to discuss things with or what have you. But we survive off of intimacy. Um, we have definitely lost that in the community. We lost that a very long time ago. People make jokes about it now, like, oh, London is such a cold place to live. Like, you can be on the tube and like, you literally be dying and no one would even stop. Like, you know, people just make light of it. But it's an actual real, like, that's a pandemic in itself. We, we actually need to just connect with people again. I find it strange if I walk down the street and someone says hi to me. That is where we've got to. <laughs> like, we're like, what do I, do I know you? I'm like, what's going on? I'm from Brixton. If somebody does that to me, it's, it's what well, it looks at me on the street. It's a fight. <laughs> but yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to change this thinking, Abby. Okay. So yeah, I mean, ultimately we, we completely lost it and, and we didn't seem too fussed about losing it. But I think now that it's gone, whenever we do find it, we actually really cherish it. So for me, um, yeah, I wanted it. I found it bizarre that I live in an area and if I didn't do NCT, if I didn't take part in the NCT, which is the National Child, Child Care Trust or what have you, that connected me with other mums that were giving birth around the same time as me. But ultimately, if I didn't do that um, prenatal class, I wouldn't know anyone in my area. That is actually mad. You know, why should we be so isolated? And I can go to a coffee shop in my area or go to whatever, a library or <laughs> a Costa or whatever, but I don't know anyone. 
you know, there's still a sense of loneliness to that. So how can we just bring back community? How can we bring connection? How can we just make people, well, make sure they enjoy a really great coffee because ultimately that's the core of <laughs> me being a coffee shop. My coffee is great. So I don't, I feel like I'll let that one, you know, just be as a given. But, but yeah, the other things I feel like we just need a bit extra in community at the moment to just um, stay connected. I completely agree. Um, I've, I've allowed me knows that I'm in the process of writing a book um, and the title of that book, I'll, I'll share it with, with everyone. Um, and uh, if, if, you, if you published a book before me, I'll know who you are. <laughs> um, but the title of that book is uh, It's People, Stupid. Um, and it's, it's actually a message to myself because every time I get to a point where I'm really struggling in life, whether it be professionally, whether it be health-wise, whether it be personally, emotionally, the answer is always people. Mm. Um, and the sooner we can understand that, if you want a successful business, you need to be somebody who enjoys understanding people. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are some examples that are exceptions that prove the rule, but ultimately, especially in this day and age where there is so much choice, as to where you spend your pound. Yeah. Being a people-centric business is going to be a superpower. And I think you've, you've demonstrated that it actually has value. And even during challenging times, it can bear fruit. So we've talked about that mantra of coffee, community, and connection. Um, and you, you've established how you instill the, the concept of community in and amongst your, your patrons. We've talked briefly on connection, but one aspect of connection which I find is very, which I find very interesting, is something that you also alluded to around entrepreneurship, networking, mm. uh, business engagement. Um, so, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and how that's manifested? Yeah, sure. Again, so um, something that I sort of while running the business, um, I just got talking to a few customers um, and was asking them about sort of what's their experience of I think it was the first summer that we had and notoriously everyone goes on holiday so summer gets quite quiet and I wanted to know is it just me that's quiet like am I missing something are other businesses in Epsom quiet and and obviously I just focus on my particular markets and my particular area um I just wanted to know what other businesses were going through <laughs> um and I spoke to a couple because I team up with other local businesses. For example, they provide me with cakes. They provide me with vegan things. Um, I promote them. They promote me. We're all just pushing each other forward. Um, so I was having chats with them and they were like, oh, actually, yeah, we should really get together and meet up. And, you know, maybe we could just encourage each other and stuff. And I was like, do you know what? That's great. I'm going to do it. Um, so I just decided to just put on a networking breakfast event. Um, feeling like it was my birthday party, hoping people turn up. And literally I put tickets, you know, on Eventbrite um, and they just all sold out. And I was like, oh, okay. So people really, when it, so now I have to actually plan hosting a networking event. I've never even been to one, but I now need to plan um, how to make this as, as exciting as possible. So first networking event came up. I just had Googled and watched so many YouTube things. And I was like, right, I'm ready. I got everyone name tags. I wrote their name tags out by hand and gave them somebody else's name when they walked in. So they would have to go and find themselves in the room. So that was already an icebreaker without saying any words. And then we did sort of introductions. Then we sort of 
mingled did, 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 did different games basically um and then I did a little sort of speech about being so happy that they were all here wanted us to mingle and people brought samples of their business so if they baked and stuff they brought samples if they did like cooking classes if they did um have a chocolatier had all just random it was just so good it was such an array of businesses um people that did essential oils cbd all sorts of things so we were having a merry time um and yeah people just were making connections people collaborated with each other after that um i decided to move them onto a platform so that they could continue their connections from there and then i decided to name it so i named it the liquid network and then I just thought, okay, maybe I'll do this again um, in a few months. I did it again, it sold out. Um, then I decided, okay, I need to take this a bit more serious. Maybe I need to set aside a whole thing and say, do you want to be part of the Liquid Network? Keep us connected as local entrepreneurs. Anyone knows anyone that's doing anything, they need hands on deck, they want someone to, you know, if they're doing a, an event or a launch or, you know, just different things, looping in with people, making sure we're all supporting one another. We're recommending each other's businesses. If I win, we all win. If you win, we all win, you know? So we just kind of adopted that. Um, I had different guest speakers, people come in talking about, you know, your management style, people um, talking about social media and how best to use it to impact your business, to actually get sales, just different topics. And I would always ask people what they wanted to discuss, like what were people most interested in for their business um, and then go with the majority basically. So I'm just about listening to customers, listening to what people say they need, what they want. It gives people a reason to come in with or without their kids. And this is the thing about community. Yes, I started it for families, but then it became community focused. And so now I'm thinking of all the dimensions that are within a community and how can I or do I cater to those people? Um, so obviously it's not going to be for everyone. And that goes without saying, but it will be quite hard to not find a space <laughs> for you, um, you know, in my shop. And so, so yeah, the, the, the Liquid Network basically um, took on a life of its own. and. I'm just struggling at the moment to try and think about how I can do a networking event with social social distancing um, in place. When we did do lockdown, I actually moved the networking event to an online networking event and that worked really well. But um, you do want people to get their money's worth and get to mingle with people one-on-one -on -one, and that's a lot of it. So, um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. It, it absolutely does. And um, I think what you've done there is you've exemplified um, one of the key principles of customer engagement, which is service, um, not self-service. It's uh, serving your, your, your audience and identifying that the people that come to your uh, shop who are looking for a cup of coffee aren't just looking for a cup of coffee um, and looking for all manner of other things. And by identifying it, as you said, by listening and constantly asking the question how can I serve you better you're able to really develop that commitment that you see um, mm. and I think we see that in in various um, examples um, shamelessly you know we'll talk about this podcast as an example of um, Afalabi and I identifying that many of our custom customers were actually business owners themselves uh, and putting this platform together as an opportunity for us to share our lessons, our, our, our failures, uh, and our successes with people who could actually benefit from that. And I think what you've demonstrated is that when you serve people and when you operate with the intention to serve, um, that can get paid back to you tenfold, uh, which I think is fantastic.
Um, the other point that you mentioned, which I think is really critical, is that you, you entered into a new space, uh, event management, event planning, with little to no previous experience. Um, and this harks back to something that we've spoken about before, which is do it now. If you have an idea, if you have a, a, a value proposition or an idea that you want to, to, to push to your customers, don't, don't wait until you um, get to a critical mass and know that everybody who shared the idea uh, loves it. Just do it now. Um, put, put, put something forward into the ether, let people respond to it and go from there. If it's a success, it's great, fantastic. Even if it's a failure, at least it's just a form of you serving your customers and you're not gonna feel bad if one or two people turn up and they still benefit from what you're doing. So, so from that perspective, I think those are really two powerful lessons that I've taken away. Afalabi, yeah. what about you? What, what, what would you like to share? Definitely. Um, do it now becomes a habit because you reminded me of Jess's introduction where for those who are able to actually rewind, she briefly states in better words, I thought, hey, why not? I'll just do it. So going on the high street, when publicly the high street is being crucified and everyone's being told that the high street's dead. So that trait of doing it now is something which grows in time the more you exercise it. And you clearly have that, Jess. You are a people person. Um, dear listener, if you are sat listening to Jess thinking, wow, I'm just not like that. What I've done is gone back to the playground. In the playground, you've got different personality types. You've got the connectors, the Jesses, who are always bringing people together. So Jess was the person who was getting everyone to play together nicely, trying not to exclude people out in games that she had no real interest in in herself. That might not be you, but you might be the analytical individual. You might be the individual who is really good at just problem solving, but doesn't want to be the face of anything. I say this because there isn't just one face of an entrepreneur. In Jess, we're seeing one facet of it, someone who is brilliant in terms of customer facing and serving people, but yours might be different. Jess, I'm in awe. Do you know what? Can I just say that the points that you guys raise is just so on point because for me, you just have to do it now, definitely, because there's a point when you can feel like I'm, I'm really scared because what will happen if I do this thing? And I've had to stop myself. Certain times I've thought, am I not doing it because I'm scared? Because now I have to do it, basically. <laughs> That's basically my signature that now I have to find a way to do it. And when I have moments where I feel like I can't really breathe and I'm quite anxious, that means that I know that I'm doing something that I need to do. For me, I've never worked in a coffee shop before opening my own coffee shop, okay? There, there is just no, there's so many things that will tell you but I don't have enough experience. I don't know this. I don't whatever. If you have a passion and you're bringing value, that's really the only thing. I mean, you might try and you might fail, but then you'll refine it. You'll come back stronger. And then you might fail again because maybe you just spent money too fast or maybe you just, but all of these things, they make you so much better. So for me, I thought, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario for me is that I lose the money that I put in. But could I ever have sat and thought I could just start a brand from scratch, get a shop, you know, um, just hope that people turn up and then end up winning awards and end up 
going in you know what i mean you just never think that this is going to be you you think oh well i'll be really successful and have a really good shop that people come to and that's that's the best that you hope for but the truth is i think even if it does it failed and it didn't go anywhere i would just be so impressed with the fact that i could actually just build a brand i mean who knew i've never studied for anything like that <laughs> um you know you just have to definitely you have to do it now and if it's because of fear then definitely do it <laughs> definitely do it and I think I've already found the, the 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 nugget, the golden nugget that's probably going to stick with me this episode, which is if I can't be breathe and I'm feeling quite anxious, then I know I need to do it. Um, that that's really powerful. Um, and there is a a theory. Um, I think you mentioned you studied uh, psychology, Jess. I think there's a the, the concept yeah. is called. Um, I'm going to get it messed up, but I think it's the reorientating complex. And it's a mind state when you're somewhere on the border of chaos and order. Um, if you live in a very ordered environment, then it stifles creativity and you can become incredibly stagnant. If you live in an overly chaotic environment, then your life is a mess. But when you're somewhere in the middle where there's a little bit of chaos and a little bit of order. That's when real special things can happen. And I think listening to, to you say that about, you know, I was feeling quite anxious. There was, there, there was a, enough chaos, but enough confidence in yourself that you said, this is something that I need to do. And I think that's really, really valuable. Um, it makes me ask the question though, have you always been entrepreneurial? Has that spirit always been within you? Or do you feel like it's been uh, a muscle that you've had to develop? be fair I feel like it's developed over time and that's just because I had I basically before kids I had this whole goal like by the time I'm 30 I'm going to be director I, I obviously worked in property and I was working excuse me to say but I was working my ass off I was just like I need to be director by the time I'm 30 you know there are so many politics in the workplace I work really hard I bring in the results it was all sales based so again I have been people facing sort of in my role um in general so that didn't come out of nowhere but you know went from sort of training in you know being thrown into a group full of men being the only woman um and being completely excluded may I add because they fully were not having me wanting to be part of the team <laughs> Um, and I had to just work hard and, and bank the numbers to earn that respect. Um, and then, you know, from there, I just continued uh, in that career path, worked my way up, managed a few offices. Then I had kids and then it was kind of like, oh, OK, well, you can't manage offices anymore because you can't do that part time. You need to do it full time. And I just thought, OK, well, I don't see me ever being able to work for somebody else again, because if I have to choose between my family and choose between, you know, working in someone's company, why don't I take all that energy I'm going to take to try and keep my job somewhere else and just develop my own thing? Why don't I develop something that would give me flexibility so when my kids are in school, I can have that work-life balance? Mm. Uh, it's going to mean that it's crazy because my I had two kids under two and my, my youngest son was four months old and I opened Jess and the Beanstalk. It was a crazy decision to make and it meant that I was completely stretched to the thinnest that anyone could be stretched to. But in my mind, I was so focused that by the time they are in school, by the time they're four and five, this would have been a really good decision. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of just take a punt on it. And, you know, again, everything could fail and it could not work and it could be 
I could have done all of that for nothing. But I've just proved to myself that if I can do that, what what else can I not do? You know, it's only the limitations that I put in my mind about what I can or can't do. But ultimately, if, if your back's against the wall and you really believe in something, you want to do it, you'll do it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, again I hope that answers your question but it it definitely does and I think for me it's a case of we can figure out the finer details down the line I know that's a terrifying concept for some people listening that I don't have all of the answers but we can figure out the finer details down the line is the mentality that allows you to actually make progress if you had to wait to a point where you knew the answer to every question that could possibly be asked sent your way then you'd never actually get off the starting line um and you know you've mentioned that you've got a sales background which gives you a certain skill set which makes you very good at what you do in this context but i'm sure there were gaps in your skill set which maybe held you back or slowed down the progress that you wanted to make so definitely definitely Tell us a little bit about that then. Um, so you, you made progress, you, you, you wanted to build this, but you'd never opened, you'd never run a coffee shop before. You didn't necessarily know much about the industry. What skill sets uh, or what, what skills were missing and um, what was the approach to actually developing that understanding? I'll be like so frank with you that all I knew is that I enjoyed caramel frappuccinos from Starbucks. And I had no idea what goes into that drink other than a whole lot of sugar. And I literally was like, okay, fine. I'm going to look online. I'm going to read reviews and I'm going to see like coffee schools, people that train people to um, make coffee. That was one thing. But there were also places that do courses about how to open a coffee shop. So I did both of those things. <laughs> it was a little bit of money. In, I mean, in comparison to anything you know that you stand to gain. Um, but I did that. And then I was actually so terrified because I'd learned it in theory and I'd done the training course, but I have not even been a barista. I've not even worked a made on coffee, let alone run a coffee shop. So I then, my first thing was that I need to recruit from day one and I need to recruit from day one, someone that knows how to make coffee, because as much as I've learned, I'm also going to be learning from them. But here's the mad thing. (laughs) I was really concerned because I need to know how to make coffee, how I want my shop run better than anyone else. I need to be the one teaching. So I threw myself into a position where I was learning while I was teaching. And we were going to figure this thing out as we go along, basically. We're going to make a couple of mistakes. I'm not going to like it. And then I'm going to definitely know how I want it done. So we did training before the shop even opened. We had people, I had the coffee company that I um, get my coffee from physically come in and do another training with me and my team in my shop on my machine. Okay, so then we were all on the same page. We all knew how we wanted drinks to look. You know, then I was saying, this is exactly the finished product that I want. We were practicing it. We did it together. Um, That meant that if I was on my own, and all these people came in for these orders, I would know exactly what I'm doing. If they're there, then great. But I effectively had one member of staff and me, and I was there six days a week. By the time it was month one, I could do it in my sleep. But when I started, I was just, <laughs> this is the moments that you have when you can't breathe and you're anxious and you're just like, Ooh. and then you just rely on your service and you're like, oh, you know, yeah, course, made with love, you know, this, that, and the other. And you just say a little things because even if you get something wrong, if you've got the right attitude, people will not care. That is actually the truth. So um, 
it was just about learning, adapting and learning, thinking really fast on your feet um, and giving that customer service. So even if something is wrong, rectifying it um, and giving people just a reason to come back, really. So, yeah, I mean, I was terrified because I didn't have any sort of skill set to even work in a coffee shop. If I gave my CV to even work in Costa, they would have said no. So, you know, it was crazy. But um, I, yeah, I did those training courses and then I just gave it a shot and I just thought, you know, again, why not do it now? Absolutely. Costa wouldn't have employed you, but now you're going to be <laughs> kicking them off the high street soon. Um, Amen. Uh, one of the common themes that I've picked up from all of the people that I've spoken to who built their own businesses is the hard grind it takes right from the outset. Um, to build a business that is going to sustain you in the future, it requires more than a full-time uh, commitment to, to get it off the ground. And I think it's, it's emphasized in what you said. The research as well as the actual legwork that it took to build what you've built is something which if you want, if somebody is listening and wants to build their own business, you're going to have to take on. There are no shortcuts. Um, you also said something which stood out to me, which is, uh, if you have the right attitude, people uh, won't care. And that's a really interesting point around customer service. I think people are very generous to people who they appreciate are working hard and doing their best to serve you. Um, now, unfortunately, we, can't, we don't have a cloning machine, so we can't have multiple uh, Jesses uh, walking around the, the store. So you would have to bring on people who would demonstrate the culture that you're trying to create for your brand. Um, so my question around that is, what was your approach to recruitment? How did you take on the staff that would then embody your brand? And what are some of the challenges that you experienced? Um, yeah, so, so like I mentioned earlier, the um, recruitment process was very much about me trying to get to know you as a person. Um, and a couple of things I found actually is that as you interview people and actually give people jobs, as in some people interview really well, they interview so well where you're like, well, there's no reason why I shouldn't offer the job on the spot really. Or um, some people come across well, they say all the right things. They're really personable. And then um, they come in on their first day and they just, it's just, you don't even know who this person is. Um, it, it's actually really two extremes and I'm saying it with so, with so much passion because this has happened to me more than once and I just at a point I was really doubting myself like I just don't understand like um, <laughs> because genuinely like they will say the right things they've got the experience they've worked in multiple places and they've worked there for years and years and years then if someone comes in and orders a cappuccino why are you lost with what you're doing that's confusing also, on the actual interview, I then had to start implementing them making coffees for me on the interview. Okay, so it was, you know, me giving you a tour of the place, us talking, you making me coffee, and me not saying anything throughout that process at all, like complete poker face. I'm not going to reassure you, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just want to see what you do if I say, can I have cappuccino? And what, a lot of that is about even if you make mistakes, it's about what you do, how you how you handle it, um, what your attitude is like. Um, you know, I've had people that are just so, so, so polite, and then they come in and the customer comes in, and maybe a customer isn't happy or something, and they have the worst attitude ever. Those things, it's just the death of my business because, you know, we're, we're all about the customer. Um, so I've had, um, 
I've had to learn really quickly with recruitment. I had to learn within the first six months um, and then be completely tight on it. And, you know, there's so many people that come in asking for jobs all day, every day. And so many parents that want jobs for their kids. And so, so many, because they, you know, they have the relationship with us. They also want us to, you know, hire their teenagers and things like that. But it's, you know, I don't want to tarnish that in relationships. I need people that are going to be loyal um, I need people that, you know, have the customer service. It's just not enough to um, know how to make coffee. I can teach that to anyone. I can genuinely teach that to anyone. Um, but the customer service side is just not taught at all. So for me, it was, it's was it been a journey. My manager, believe it or not, whose name is also Jess, that made my life really easy. I was literally closing the shop one day, mopping the floor, and she came knocking on the door. And she said, oh, I'm, oh, hi, I'm really sorry. I, um, I just wondered if you have any jobs going because I saw my name up above the, um, <laughs> above the shop and I just figured I should work here. <laughs> um, and just, I think, her boldness and her approach and, you know, made us chuckle a bit. And I was like, okay, you know, what's going on with you? What, you know, she's a mum, she's got kids, she, you know, is looking for work. And we just started having a general conversation. And I was like, great, okay, send me your CV. Then when she came in, she's just so extremely personable. Anyone that's met Jess knows um, how she is. So extremely warm and personable and just, you know, she's run restaurants before. She's um, managed openings of other sort of expansions before. So um, she had good experience. So, yeah, she, she was able to, you know, have it on paper, but also sort of be that in person. And it's very difficult to find. So I think for e-commerce business and different types of businesses, it's um, a lot easier because it's just, I guess, someone behind um, a laptop or someone fulfilling orders or the main thing might be someone on the phone. That might be the main thing that you just need them to come across like, you know, like they are at least happy to take your call. Um, but for me, I need them to be, I need them to leave everything in their life at the door and come in and not give any of that to my customer. My customer needs to have a complete experience that we are happy. <laughs> We're ready for them. We're just here with all this good stuff that we want to give them. So, yeah, basically, recruitment is a is a roller coaster. Absolutely, a roller coaster. And when you made when you said that statement, I just don't understand. That actually hit me in the spot <laughs> because I've been there. I've been there, just completely perplexed as to how the person the model employee who I interviewed transformed into something else. Weapon X. Weapon X. Afalabi. Jess, you, you exude that customer service is paramount. You, you truly get it. And I think the older I become, the more I'm becoming slightly radical in my views, because I always believe that customer service could be taught. But I'm now starting to question whether exemplar customer service can be because I think it is due to, it's down to your nature as a human being. Yeah. Certain things that you can fake, you can present a facade, you can put on a show. But when things are challenging in your personal life, are you able to present a professional version of you when you go into work? And I, I'm questioning whether everyone can actually do that and whether customer service actually is an art. What are your views on that? Do you know what? I, I've started to think that it all comes down to life experience. I feel like the more life experience people have, the better they are with customers, the more forgiving they are. 
you know, if a customer's not happy and things like that, they just take it on the chin. I mean, it, it's nothing personal. They're, they're not taking it personal because they've had life experience and they know that this isn't about them. This is just about you're providing a service and they haven't felt that they've got that service. Um, I, I have just felt like over, I guess, over the course of having um, uh, my shop, the more mature people with life experience, not necessarily in age, but with life experience, just seem to get it just seem to get it the the younger people which I still have because I have teenagers that this is their first ever job you know I still have them I still hire them and I still give them opportunities definitely um but I know that they're there to be an extra pair of hands and they're there to learn all of this stuff and then you're pouring out everything you know into them because they're not coming with anything else they are learning from scratch so that's also a good um position to recruit from but I think the places in between that, people that have had jobs that they haven't had to do much um, or much hasn't been required of them or they haven't had to be selfless in a sense um, and leave their stuff outside. It, there's just no excuses, none of that stuff. Just come to work and just, when you're here, just be present. That is really what it is about. And I think life experience for some people, they're able to switch that off. And when they're in, they're present. And then when they're out, they deal with you know, whatever else personally. So that's kind of the way I've started to think about it. I think you're right. Um, I think I'd go as far as saying that suffering breeds patience. Because from my experiences, both in uh, business setting, the professional world setting, there are some people who are able to take it on the chin when things don't go their way, mm. or they're actually receiving a lot of negative feedback and not lose, not for a tantrum like a five-year-old. And I'm wondering whether, because of their life experiences, because they have actually been down previously, they understand that this isn't going to be a permanent state, or they have been the other person and they understand that it isn't actually the customer um, service person's fault or personal vendetta against them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. That's where I'm at now and that's what I'm convinced is, is the case. But again, you might talk to me in six months and I might have a new a newfound um, reason why this happened. But I think recruitment's always going to be a tough one for anyone in any sector um, because you're trying to find someone that represents your company and essentially they are the face of your brand. And if you have a shop on the high street, that could never be more true. Um, no matter what customer walks in, whoever they deal with, that is their impression of your brand. So it's so important to have people that, you know, embody what you believe in um, and that also are present. You know, you just don't want staff that are there, but they're away with the fairies. You know, <laughs> you just need them to be doing what you need them to do. But, but with that, one of the points that you mentioned is that you are willing to support young people who maybe it's their first job members of the community with work experience etc now one of the mantras that i've adopted uh recently out of experience and being burned is that my business isn't a charity and there are many people who i'm aware of who could benefit from being employed but just don't have the skills required to support me and support my business so my question is, how do you navigate that minefield of working with people who are potentially going to be quite close to you socially, whether it be through family or friends or other members of the community, 
uh, and in some instances providing discipline, uh, providing quite stern management, or even, uh, God forbid, having to, to sack or fire people. How do you navigate that, that, that challenge in space? Well, in terms of sort of the younger people, um, I think it's incredibly important to give people opportunities mm. um, and especially young people, especially people that are studying and they don't have any experience. I think we've all been there when we've applied for jobs and we, we you know, been school or we've got grades and things like that, but they say you don't have any experience. And we've always thought, well, how am I supposed to get experience if you don't give me the job? <laughs> um, but the, the thing is about... Um, sort of the space that I'm in, the customer service space that I'm in, is that this is the space that teaches you life skills. Mm. This is exactly that space. When you're in a customer facing sort of role and you have to learn to deal directly with the customers, fulfill orders, um, speak, build relationships, this is the type of role that's going to build their life skills. I'm all about that. So for people that are like wanting their first job, we get lots of them. Um, and actually, I, I'm trying to move into doing apprenticeships um, with local secondary schools um, and things like that so that we do have, um, I mean, it's obviously not going to be a lot of people, but as we grow and as we're in different areas, we'll help to support people that want work experience in such places. It will be local, it will be independent, it will be personal. And hopefully that will give them some skills. They'll take that with them when they go. And for me, it's an extra pair of hands, you know, because... No one expects that much from, um, you know, someone that he can clearly see is a, has a Saturday job. Um, and they really, they help us do things like clean the tables, um, you know, make coffee in the back. They're not necessarily people facing until they've gained that experience. Um, my longest standing member of staff is actually my Saturday girl, believe it or not. So she started when she was 16. And... Um, yeah, I mean, and she's just grown leaps and bounds. Um, and now I, I could leave the shop and leave her in it. And she, you know, I mean, I don't, but <laughs> I, I totally could, if not for the fact that I'm completely anal about these things. Um, she would, she's brilliant. She knows how to de deal with customers. She knows how to upsell. She knows how to make all of the things. She's, she's brilliant at convincing people to get cake with their coffee. So, you know, these things come with time and, and come with people increasing in confidence. But I'm definitely passionate about that. So regardless of how I feel, that's my responsibility, I feel, to bring them into the standard of my brand rather than to not give them the opportunity because my brand has a standard. Does that make any sense? It, it makes perfect sense. And it's something that we try to embody as well. Actually, while you were speaking, it brought to mind uh, our junior CEO, Afalabi. Our uh, junior CEO. You want to talk a little bit about that? Very briefly, because this is all about Jess. Um, but Jess, when you mentioned that your longest standing um, employee is, or was a 16-year-old, um, yeah. it does remind us of someone who is actually going to university this year, and we've had her for the last four years, um, maybe even five now, actually. And it's impressive because it's someone that we've had to mould, and she's gone from similarly being right at the back to actually contributing in more um, higher level things. They can be invaluable when selected accurately, but they've got to have a willingness to learn. Um, and it is all about soft skills, but those soft skills will take them far. And we've seen many instances of others of a similar age who haven't necessarily cut it, but we still love them anyway. Yeah. Um, 
as you said, we're, we're trying to provide life experience to our young people. And one of the opportunities to gain some quite significant life experience is to work in a business during a global pandemic. <laughs> um, so I, I really wanted to delve into that a little bit more because the high street has probably been the worst hit by COVID-19. And you've spoken about some of the um, really positive stories that have come out of this period. But how has it been? How has it been running a, a people-facing business during such a difficult time? Um, it's been a whole lot of uncertainty. And I just made the decision, you know, when Boris was like, you know, you need to close the shops and everything. I had already put things in place to close that day, that very day, as if I knew. Um, I was like, guys, I just don't feel right with this anymore. We need to close it because people will not stop coming in. They won't stop coming in. And it's like, they're not socially distancing. <laughs> they literally are aware that we're about to go into lockdown. One, a last hurrah. And I could just feel that people kept gathering more and more and I couldn't live with myself. So I decided, look, we need to just tell everyone we're going to be closing. We'll be open as soon as possible. Um, everyone to stay safe. And, and actually what we did is we, we took numbers of a lot of our regulars, of the older people, of people that would need to be shielding. And we spoke to them literally every week. Um, we're just checking on them, seeing how they're doing. Do they need anything? We're not in the shop, but if they need something, if they need someone to collect something, if they need shopping, if they just, just being there because it, it, you know, you can't just say that you're about the community and then just like close and no one hears from you. So I was really focused on just making sure that we're still there. People know that we actually care. Um, so we, we spent our lockdown basically doing that and staying in contact with our customers and they were constantly asking us when we're opening, when we're opening um, until I decided to open the 1st of June. But um, one thing that I heard, um, this is something that I heard Andy, Andy AM say, is that it's much easier to, to turn a jet ski than it is to turn a ship. So right now for us small businesses, it's much easier for us to pivot. It's much easier for us to stand still and do nothing and hopefully not bleed as much money. But the bigger companies, it's going to be diabolical. It's I understand why the news report it that way, but the news reporting it that way, I think, makes it seem like everyone is in that boat. And although we face uncertainty with people's spending habits and, you know, people being made redundant and not having as much disposable income and things like that, we can definitely see that the bigger brands are actually struggling a lot more with COVID. Um, a lot of the, what we would say are sort of giants in the game. It's just not something that they can bounce back from. Mm. For us smaller ones, if we sort of sit tight and just ride it out we should be able to be okay that's not everyone but that's just saying that if we're just really cautious um and not doing anything too fast and putting in all the measures in place you know we should be okay but saying that you know we people are there's rumors of second peaks and all these things that things that just give you anxiety generally but you know you just can't worry about these things you've just got to be in the now deal with today um every day as it comes um, and just and just go from there, really. But yeah, turning a jet ski, I feel, has been easier than than a ship. Definitely, and I mean, with Jess and the Beanstalk, you haven't just been sitting tight; you've been taking action. Um, I've, I've taken a lot of very key points away from what you've just said. I think the first point, which is 
really valuable is taking the numbers of your customers, specifically the ones who you think are more vulnerable. Um, to our e-commerce businesses out there, what would happen tomorrow if for whatever reason your website was hacked and it was down and you had to start an entirely new website, maybe an entirely new Instagram page, etc.? How would you be able to build that business from scratch? So by taking the step actually to um, certify or clarify who your customers are and have a directory of customers that you can engage with away from any platform is such a valuable thing because it means that you've got direct contact with them, not just through your website, not just through your Instagram, but through means that they're happy to communicate with you. And I think that's a really important point. If it's not by taking their numbers, take their emails down so you can send out a newsletter or mm -hmm. even create a, a WhatsApp group potentially where people can actually engage or communicate if they so choose. But having that direct communication with your customers, not through a third party like your you know, website provider, et cetera, or uh, through a, a physical space is so powerful and it, it, it's always going to be useful to have. Um, the other point is around service to your customers, not just around what your business does, but around what your customers need. So a lot of, a lot of businesses are going to have to pivot or have already pivoted uh, into areas that maybe they didn't actually uh, understand or they didn't actually have footprint before. I mean, a good example is the beer distilleries, the wine distilleries, who actually use their um, infrastructure to make hand sanitizer. So we've got resource and we can actually provide value to the ecosystem, which doesn't, norm which doesn't fit our normal uh, operating model, but it's still a way to actually add value. So let's do that. I think that the other point that you mentioned, which is it's easier for a small business to pivot than it is for a large one, the, the world is your oyster to an extent. If you identify a customer need that's not being met and you already have a long list of customers that need that um, service, then it's a perfect opportunity to, to, to deliver that. The hardest part about starting a business is finding a community of customers. So if you have that and you understand that there's a common need amongst all of them, it's a great way to you, for you to actually address that and actually make some money. Um, and the last point I'll mention is just around new business models, which uh, I know Justin and Beanstalk did. So at a time when uh, entering into a coffee shop and sitting down wasn't uh, appropriate, I know Justin and Beanstalk did takeaway. Um, and once again, I think that's a great example of just looking at your resources, looking at the customer need and providing a solution that actually met that need and allowed them to still be part of that community. So those are a couple of points that I'll take away from that. Really valuable. Uh, Afalavi, anything to add there? I'm evaluating the entire conversation and I'm gaining inspiration from Jess as an entrepreneur. Um, but also I'm trying to gain inspiration as someone listening who's a woman. Because we've got to remember that Jess entered this having two kids, one being four months old. And she really epitomizes why most entrepreneurs now or higher proportion of entrepreneurs are female who are actually refusing to continue the status quo and work jobs which don't actually support their lives. And I think we all as males need to take inspiration for this and reevaluate what we actually want. 
how can we ensure that what we do for a living supports the way we wish to live? And I think that is truly inspiring. Taking that step, taking that dive, doing something which you were interested in but didn't necessarily know how to do, making it work, putting in the hours, and then creating a template for it to exist almost beyond you, that's incredible. It, it really is. <laughs> and um, I think that leads us on to our next question, which is we've spoken about Jess, the, the businesswoman. How has life been for Jess, the mother and wife? Um, it has been really difficult. It has actually been the most difficult time of my life. But I say that in a way because uh, having kids in general brings you into a whole different you know, <laughs> realm of, of things. Um, and then opening a business does the exact same thing. I felt like I went from having one child to having three, my shop being the third one. They mm. equally needed my attention, equally, like literally. Um, so uh, my poor husband in a lot of respects because, um, you know, uh, our kids are obviously priority and then the shop is also um, like in a baby stage that needs that mothering, so to speak. Um, it, it just wasn't in a place where I could um, sort of buy a shop and then give it to someone else to run. It would never accomplish what I needed it to. It had to have me in there, all hands on deck, pretty much every day. And so we had to make arrangements for that to be the case. So it was tough, um, but that was just because I was juggling everything. I had so many plates spinning and I, and I couldn't let any of them drop. You know, so from a sort of self-pressure sort of place, um, it was pressure on all the time, fight and flight mode constantly, all the time. That's no way to live. So <laughs> I advise anyone who's in that place to, um, I don't know, go and get a massage, um, do something nice for yourself, give yourself an hour, um, because you're basically on all the time. And, um, you know, people say something's got to give, but in that time, nothing can give. Like everything has to perform as well as everything else. So for, it might be my nature as a person, but you know I can't let anything slip because you know that would mean that <laughs> that you know all of my attention is in one place not in another and, and I just can't afford for any of those things to be the, the case so it's been difficult but I've learned so much about myself um I have created I guess um cultivated a different type of resilience um both in personal um professional life and and maintaining relationships beyond that even friendships even things like that, how I have time for things, you know, because everything requires my time. Yeah. Um, and if effectively time is also money. So <laughs> yeah, it's been a whole balancing game, but I would not change it um, for the world. Um, I think that the, the passion that I had and being in the life stage as the same life stage as I'm, as I'm sort of wanting my customers to be in. So when I opened, I opened for people like me. I am physically in the thick of it. And I feel like that gave me connection with customers straight away. Like they came in, they're like, how old are yours? How old are yours? Oh, you know, we just started chatting and they're like, oh, so why did you open this so soon? And I'm telling them, this is my vision. This is what I want for you guys. Like, I want you guys to have a place that I didn't have. And I just want this to be the norm. And we just built a connection. And it just was like that with every mum that walked through the door, every dad that walked through the door. I have dads that come in and they are just like, as soon as they walk in, they're just like wiping their brow and like, Jess, like, please, 
a very large cappuccino immediately and I'm like I've got you you know but you just um you you just want to create that value and that connection with people so yeah I think me being in the similar life stage to my customers is really really helpful um and it was it was tough but it was great and I think if it was any other way it wouldn't be what it is <laughs> if that makes any sense no it it, it makes perfect sense and for, for me, I, I, my, my follow-up question is, you know, when it comes to you being up against it and being in beast mode, as we like to call it, you need some sort of outlet to keep you sane. And other than a amazing cup of coffee from Jess and a Beanstalk, what other uh, outlets, what other solutions did you have that kept you sane during this journey? Um... A number of things so uh, my faith because I know that um, the way that things came together the way that I would be connected with people the paths that I would cross with people just the way things happen I just knew that like God's hand was on it and um, you know obviously my sort of intentions are pure with, with what I'm trying to achieve in the community and people and connecting people making sure people don't feel alone and I, I I strongly feel that God is in it so for me that's one side another side is that I was doing mindfulness you know I was actually I actually took a course a mindfulness course because um you know it just got to a point where I was really stressed with you know juggling everything and it was just about finding an hour to just completely switch off listen to my breathing um you know be aware of being present you know, being aware of my feet on the floor, my, my me sitting on a chair, all of those things, just being grounded. It really made a difference to then my performance and just just my mental state in terms of um, not forgetting things and things like that, you know. So just having moments where you just calm everything down, stop, slow down and do some mindfulness, do some meditation, um, just be in the present. It helps you to not always be either working towards the future or looking back at the past, you know, just being present, being grounded. There's a lot, there's a lot in that that has really actually dramatically helped. And also when we're rushing around a lot and we're doing so many things, we actually don't realize that we've stopped breathing. And it's actually a really big thing because sometimes you'll catch yourself and you'll realize and someone says something and then you do a really big exhale, but you're actually not even getting enough oxygen <laughs> in your day-to-day tasks, but you're trying to get through everything before a certain time. And then you've got this meeting and then you've got that Zoom and then you've got that call and you've got someone coming into the shop and you've got this. And um, before you know it, you haven't really like had a proper breath um the whole day you know breathing in for three seconds holding it for three seconds breathing out for three seconds that can change your whole day so it's just little things that I started to to do that really helped me to manage and then also just starting to reintroduce making enough time to be with friends you know because you get to a point when you're doing this business thing and you're just all in beast mode and you're like no time for friends no time like I'll have friends later when I've got the things that I want to have <laughs> But then you get to a time and you're like, I actually need to, you know, not let go of meaningful relationships, invest time because you investing time in it means that you care about it. Um, and just finding balance generally. So, yeah, there's a lot I could um, go on and say. But essentially, I think um, finding something that gives you uh, time to be still, time to think um, and to be present. I really value that point about stillness and it always makes me feel guilty because it's just something I know is so important and something I just don't do enough. And uh, 
My promise is that this evening, uh, after our discussion, I am going to take uh, some some significant time to be still uh, in in response to this discussion. Perfect. Um, one one other question around this space. So we, we've talked about some of the challenges uh, with you as a uh, a mother and a a wife. But what about Jess as a woman? Now you mentioned in uh, in sales that you stood out because of the fact that you were a woman in a male-dominated space. Um, as a business owner on the high street, does that play a factor, not only you being a woman, but also you being a black woman on the high street in Epsom? Does that play a factor in your interactions with, with customers, your, your, your business personality at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I often say this. I've even... <clears throat> I've discussed it with people before and even my my store manager um he was really surprised at, at sort of the the content of my conversation but I had to think long and hard before opening a shop um me as a black woman opening a shop in Epsom Epsom is not um even a sort of um equally um <laughs> diverse area so it's not even um I mean it's, it's just a predominantly um white area and um, I spent a lot of time there during my pregnancies. I had some affiliation with the area, but I don't actually physically live in the area myself as well. So that was another factor. Although I live nearby, I don't actually live in Epsom. Um, but I had to think about those things. I had, you know, I've had different instances. And a lot of the time when people walk in, they just don't, if they don't know me, they, which is rare. But again, if it's someone's first time coming in or something like that, they just assume that it's not me that owns the shop. They assume that it's the other Jess that owns the shop. And, you know, we have these instances a lot and, you know, Jess is always like, oh, no, it's not my operation. I'm manager Jess, not the boss Jess. Um, so she has a little joke that she does. And then and they're like, oh, you know, I'm really, really sorry. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I'm just, um, you know, a humble servant over here. I have no desire for people to know that it's my shop. I have no it doesn't make any difference to me. Um, I'm there to provide a service. It really doesn't matter. I know that I had to. Um, be mindful of it going into it because of course I'm the face that they're going to see a lot of the time and if they just don't like it they just won't come in but ultimately if you're providing something of value it either is valuable or it's not um so you know it, it would only be a I don't think it would be a majority of people that would um you know have sort of issues with that I think um as a woman more in business it's been more difficult because a lot of the services and a lot of um people that I team up with and, and I guess businesses and things they are sort of male led or male run and I've had instances where I feel like as as a woman it's more difficult because I have to take my time to make decisions because I feel that um you can often feel pressured into making decisions um and it, this is this is a completely I say this is a personal experience, but when I speak to other female entrepreneurs, they say the exact same thing as me, and they just say that you know we can sometimes feel like um, a pre pressurized to make a certain decision to 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 I guess affiliate business with with someone else, or also just to um um I guess almost sold something that isn't actually it. So let's say someone says to you, "I'll come and provide this service for you. You pay me five hundred pounds. You pay the five hundred pounds. You don't get that service." But if you were a man, that probably wouldn't happen to you. I hope I'm making sense. But these are the kind of things that we we kind of find ourselves sort of trying to navigate um, along the route, being a woman, 
being black there's different things that I have to navigate on a on a I, I wouldn't even say daily basis but but every now and then um yeah no I I understand what you mean only to an extent because you know I've never never lived the life of a woman but you know as as a black man there are times when I've had to reach out to people with similar experience to me and just ask them the question am I going crazy is is this is this real or um you know am I overthinking it and uh, the camaraderie that I have with uh, other entrepreneurs has been really valuable for me to, to, to understand my identity uh, as a as a businessman. Has that been helpful to you? So working or collaborating or just having a community with other black female entrepreneurs, has that been something that has benefited you at all? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been it's been life-changing in some respects because it really gives you that that motivation to keep going to keep pushing um regardless of what's happening at any time like whatever each of us are doing is so valuable and like I say all the time if one of us wins we all win like it's so I am obviously really passionate about connecting people as you've (laughs) as you've gathered from my business model and things but generally I mean even in my day-to-day life at the shop I always connect with other business owners a lot of them um, are female in terms of um, the services they provide and things we collaborate on Um, but I'm all about that female empowerment get us pushing each other forward there's no competition here even if we're selling the same product it really doesn't matter like my customer is still your customer I just feel like if we stop doing all of this competitiveness, we would actually do a lot better. <laughs> we would actually do a lot better. So, um, so yeah, having other sort of black females has been, yeah, life changing for me because in my um, circles and, and business before that, I just hadn't really come across any. I still to this day don't know any black, any black people or black females that own coffee shops. Um, that would be great to also meet someone that does that. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's just a reflection of me, isn't it? Someone that's just going for it, um, putting all that they have into something, and um, and hopefully that all they are all really incredible individuals, and all of their businesses will do really, really well. But I, I, I also like to support them not just in word, but in deed. Um, and I was talking to another black female founder earlier today. And we were just talking about, we were actually asking each other how many black businesses have we bought from um, currently? Because although we're sitting here as black founders, you know, thinking, why don't people invest in black businesses? Why da, 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 da. Like, what are we doing to invest in black businesses? What are we physically doing on a day-to-day basis? What habits have we cultivated? How have we changed our spending um, habits, our appetites? How are we actually on a day-to-day basis saying that we're, we're encouraging and pushing forward other black businesses before we start saying all the, all the reasons why people aren't supporting black businesses? This is the second time in this episode that I've just wanted to give you the host microphone and just walk out. <laughs> I, I, listen, you're, you're saying something that I've been preaching for years now. I, I think it's one of the most important aspects of uh the, the the black community for us to support other people who are aspiring to achieve and the only way that they're going to get to um the, the heights that we want them to to get to is not only with our, our well wishes and our prayers but with our pound so the fact, the fact that you're pushing that is is something that um i'm completely behind and i'm also just yeah 
ecstatic that your business is going from strength to strength. I'm sure we're going to continue to hear more and more successes, more and more incredible achievements from, from, from you. Uh, but this wouldn't be an episode of Expensive Lessons if we didn't zone in on one of your most difficult challenges and maybe your most difficult learning experience. So last question uh, before we let you go is what's been your most expensive lesson and what have you learned from it? Most expensive lesson, which has become my mantra of all time, is do not hire out of desperation. You've all heard me say it. And I always say it with passion and with a pause because I need it to be felt because it is expensive. Because every person you hire, you train, you give them time, you give them energy, you pour out all this stuff into them. And, you know, if they're not cutting the mark, it's just, it can be very expensive, time consuming. Um, on so many levels so do not hire because you're desperate to fill a space because you just need someone to do this and they just do it really quickly and you know because even the quality of service that that person brings if it's not up to par is going to also cost you money in that your customers will not be happy parting with their cash with such service so it just goes on so many levels from the customer to the staff themselves to your time training to when when they leave or when you have to get fire them and then you have to recruit again uh, spending money on these aggregators so many things it's expensive okay <laughs> genuinely expensive so um as they said um on our cohort um higher slow and fire fast it sounds sounds savage doesn't it but um no it's an expensive lesson so do not hire out there absolutely and unfortunately um that's not necessarily a lesson that i learned the first time around um, <laughs> it was something that took a few times for it to really sink in it's not something that you should be doing afalavi any comments on that it's just too painful <laughs> It's just so, so painful. I, I really admire the information which is being given because whenever I have the opportunity to, to be the third party in these conversations, so Abby and I alternate in terms of leading the conversation with guests, I'm taken back to when I first started and how I wish I knew some of the things that the guests were saying. When Jess pauses, <laughs> It's because that pause is for you to really allow those words to sink in. Do not hire out of desperation. It will cost you more than you could imagine. There are so many instances that you are losing things, but you're not really realizing what you're losing. You don't know when you've lost a customer. You don't know what that customer has said to other potential customers all because you were desperate in that moment of need. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been a really good chat. I've loved it. Um, the time has literally just flown by and I could continue on with this conversation for another hour easily. <laughs> um, but we're going to be respectful to our um, listeners who have told us off when we, when we go on too long because their, their car journeys are a set amount of time and they want to be able to listen to a whole episode during their car journey. So um, all that means is, Jess, we're going to have you on again, absolutely, to, to talk about some of the things that we didn't delve into. 
Uh, and as I said, I know that um, Jess and the Beanstalk is going to be going from strength to strength. And as a result, we're going to have more successes, more challenges, and more just general stories to, to share. Um, so once again, you've been able to enjoy uh, a company director sharing uh, the, the value uh, of, of her experience, the insight from, from years of trying to get a dedicated community of loyal customers and the information that you've received is absolutely invaluable. Where can people find you, Jess? Where, <laughs> where, where are people going to find you on the high street, online, um, pop in for the shop, where, whereabouts? So our shop is in Epsom um, on Manor Green Road. You look us up on Google, you will find us. Um, we're currently in the process of franchising our business. So <clears throat> just going through a, quite a lot of interviews at the moment and trying to find franchisees with the same passion, um, wanting community, wanting to help connect people to open Just in the Beanstalks across the nation and actually interviewing people internationally as well. Um, so we hope to be in your area soon, but if you're anywhere near us, please do pop in, support local businesses. Um, and yeah, even if it's not us, please support your local businesses. They really, really need it. Like an actual person does a happy dance when you support local businesses. So um, yeah, really passionate about that. But that's where we are. We're in Epson. Hope to be pretty much in every area as the as the um, the next sort of couple of years roll out. So um, do find us, follow us on social media, and thank you so much. Amen to that. Afalabi. Amen to that. Um, God bless Jess and the Beanstalk, and God bless Jess. I'm excited to see the trajectory of both Jess and the Beanstalk and Jess Ie in that. What you've dabbled in, in terms of networking, I think is a glimpse of what the future holds for you. Um, for some people, they create businesses which are greater than them. And we definitely haven't seen the the, the ceiling of where Justin and Beanstalk is going to go. But I have an inkling that you will surpass your business, even though it will be something that's known on the high street. People know you for other things. People know you as a connector. And that is something that I'm pleased to know that I've got front row seat in watching. So to all the people who have been inspired by this, do listen to it again. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal learning experience around the customer service and just being people facing. And to Jess, thank you once again for joining Expensive thank Lessons. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This has been Expensive Lessons. See you next week. <laughs>